0: Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their filmic adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And we are joined by a special guest. We have Paul Lee in the virtual room. <laughs> How's it going, Paul?
1: I'm doing all right. How are you guys?
2: We're good. We need you here because we both feel very lost.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> hmm?
2: Well, thank you for having me.
1: <laughs> no
0: pressure. We put no pressure on our guests at all.
2: Not at all. Not at all. Uh, so this week we're talking about Orange Marmalade, which is a South Korean webtoon, and you we'll be looking at the the TV adaptation of it. And i I really enjoyed it, but I was confused, it's like true. conservatively sixty five percent of the time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, and we should probably mention that we chose this particular text because it was suggested to us by people who listen to the podcast. So a while back, I think quite a while back, we put out a call asking people to give us regionally specific or national specific texts. And we ended up getting into quite a interesting thread on Twitter by users, let's see, I've got their names here. Saya, Jessamine Price, and Peroma, sorry if I mispronounced that. They had a really good time dissecting a bunch of different, I believe they were all Korean texts, but they might have been different kinds of anime, manga, in this case, manhwa. And they ended up settling on orange marmalade as their suggestion. So that's why we are doing it today.
2: And there was a general consensus that I would like it. And I do. It's true. <laughs> it's it has very important. Teen Romance and Not At All Scary Monsters, which is a big bonus for me.
0: (laughs) Which is surprising considering that it is still a teen vampire text as well.
2: I know, but they're the gentlest vampires ever. I kind of love them.
0: They are, yeah.
2: But before we do that, Joe, we should probably do the news. Do you have any this week?
0: Yes, I do. As always, I'm a little bit bad in the way that I'm advocating for a text that I haven't actually begun to read. That just seems to be a recurring theme of the podcast. But I'm going to bring to light a book that I was given by a former co-worker that I never got around to cracking the spine on. <laughs> but you may be familiar with this one, Brenna. It's called Aristotle and Dante <gasps> Discover the Secrets of the Universe.
2: Oh, Joe, you're in for such a treat. It's so good.
0: So, this is by Benjamin, I think it's O'Leary Seance. I have yeah, no idea I'm not how to sure.
2: It. But his books are fantastic.
0: Yeah, I was surprised to see that it's such an award winning book. So. That's exciting. The quick rundown for people who may not know it. This is the Wikipedia description. It's set in El Paso, Texas in 1987, and it follows two Mexican-American boys, Aristotle Ari Mendoza and Dante Quintana, and it also follows their friendships, their struggles with racial and ethnic identity, sexuality, and family relationships, and it has won just a crazy amount of awards, so it has won the Lambda Literary Award, Stonewall Book Award for LGBT Fiction, Amelia Elizabeth Walden, and Pura Belpré Narrative Medal for Latino Fiction. Oh, and one more. Michael L. Prince Award for Young Adult Fiction.
2: Yeah, which is one of the big ones. The Prince Award oh, okay, is so like, it. yeah, yeah, huge.
0: Uh, okay. For some reason, whenever you mention that, I always imagine Prince, like...
2: I know. I remember when I discovered that, too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So far behind on the times it's but apparently good. there's rumors that it's being adapted into a film <gasps> but it looks like there hasn't been any news since last year no so, could still be happening but uh who knows <sighs> it's <laughs> uncertain
2: you're gonna love it honestly if you love becky Albertali's voice you are going to love the voice in this book i promise you
0: yeah excellent okay mm-hmm. and what about you what have you got
2: i have news joe and get this It's not about a book I'm reading. Sure. (laughs) I have news about actual film adaptations.
0: Okay. When do I
2: ever have news about film adaptations? I'm so proud of me.
0: Paul, she never has news, never about (laughs) films.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to do two quick hits, because they both tie back into the show and to texts we've either already done or are going to do really soon. Okay. So the first one is The Sun is Also a Star. Which is the second book by Nicola Yoon, and we have Everything Everything, Nicola Yoon's first book scheduled for an upcoming podcast. Yes. The Sun is Also a Star is about Natasha and Daniel, who kind of have a a meet-cute on an ordinary day in New York City, but they are complicated by the fact that Natasha's family is facing deportation.
0: So happy times.
2: But honestly, they have like this perfect day. Like that's what the book is about, basically. She can't change the fact that she's getting deported and they have, well, they have a whole bunch of tension, but they also have this like one perfect day and it's really beautiful. And it's weirdly hopeful and it's great and I'm so excited. So the film is actually, I didn't know it was in process, it's actually coming out uh, May 17th and it's directed by Rai Russo Young.
0: What? Really? Yep. Okay, yes. I think I did know that because way back in the day when we were doing Before I Fall, I saw that she had another film on the horizon.
2: Well, I'm very excited because when this hits, I think we should do it, but I guess we're going to do everything, everything first, which is also good. But I'm just very excited because, you know, friend of the show, Rai Russo Young. (laughs) (laughs) A great, diverse YA romance. It's just so my wheelhouse. And to keep the lady director train rolling, Mm-hmm. The other piece of news that I have is that Turtles All the Way Down, John Green's uh, most recent novel, oh, yeah. is in production now and it is being directed by um, well, first of all, it's being adapted by Isaac Aptaker and Elizabeth Berger, the showrunners for This Is Us. Okay. And they also apparently were the screenwriters on Love, Simon. Right. So we know and love their work. Yep. And most interesting, Hannah Marks has been named as the director.
0: Okay. I don't think I know her.
2: She's an actress. She's best known for um, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, which I haven't watched.
0: It's very kooky.
2: The reason why this is exciting news, though, is uh, she's 25. So this will make her one (laughs) of the youngest female directors of a major Hollywood picture ever.
0: That's really cool. Yeah. And also, I think probably a good fit for John Green's material, which is obviously you know, dedicated to that youth market, so. And
2: Teenage Girls in particular, this is another Teenage Girl protagonist from John Green. This is a much more, I won't say serious novel, because obviously The Fault on Our Stars is serious, but it's a more polished, more accomplished novel. It's a sort of adventure story about teenagers who go on the search for their neighbor's dad who has gone missing. Yeah, but it's okay.
0: Along I think the way, I always confuse that with Paper Towns.
2: Yeah, well, another adventure narrative. But this one, what's made interesting about Turtles All the Way Down is that The protagonist has obsessive-compulsive disorder, which John Green himself has. So it's definitely his most, I don't know.
0: Autobiographical?
2: Yeah, I think it's pretty autobiographical-ish, but it's also just like, I don't know, he took five years between The Fault in Our Stars and Paper Towns. Actually, or sorry, The Fault in Our Stars and Turtles All the Way Down. And actually that might be wrong, it might be six. (laughs) So there's that break, I think. He matured a lot as a writer in that time. Right. So anyway, two exciting upcoming films, both with female directors. Pretty exciting.
0: Nice. Yeah. Okay.
1: Oh, dare we ask if you have any YA news that you want to share? I went to go see Shazam last night, and they showed the trailer for uh, The Sun is Also a Star.
2: Oh, did it look good?
1: It actually did look a lot better than I was expecting it to. I've never read the book. My first thought when I saw the trailer was, why are these people so attractive? <laughs> <laughs> They were painfully, painfully beautiful. This is how
2: YA functions, especially like American big, decent budget YA. It's just wall-to-wall hot people.
0: I'm going to challenge that on the basis of the TV show that we watched for this week, (laughs) because I don't think it's just a North American thing, because I was drooling at the cast of this TV show. (laughs) Fair
2: point. These are also very beautiful
0: people. Anyway, sorry, Paul, continue.
1: I guess that's the only thing. I'm reading something right now, but it's not a YA novel, so. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, I guess we'll keep an eye out for, sorry, what was it, The Sun is a The Sun, is, uh, also the sun a star? is Also a Star, yeah. I feel like I should know that. It sounds very familiar.
2: It's funny because there's another YA book that I'm tracking, and it has a very similar title, and I keep confusing the two of them. So I think that might be why I missed that this had gotten, like, it's going to be released May 17th, and I had no idea it was coming.
0: Right. Okay. <laughs>
2: I'm a pro, Joe. I'm a pro.
0: Honestly, so many of these YA titles have very similar sounding titles. It's true. Okay, so I guess moving onwards and upwards to today's feature narrative, Orange Marmalade. Brenna, do you want to try (laughs) to summarize this? I feel like the summary is probably... Okay, well, maybe we should clarify. Before we get into this, let's go around the virtual room and say how many of the webtoon episodes did each of us read?
2: Okay, I read the first 25.
1: Okay, I also read 25. I read 25, 26. Okay. Oh, good. Oh, good. Okay, a few.
0: So... I did jump ahead to the end just to see how many we were dealing with. So for big, big fans of the webtoon, we do recognize that we have read only 25 or 26 of the 119 that there are available. So obviously our discussion of, in particular, the webtoon is going to be strictly related to just those 25, although I think... Paul, you and I may have read a little bit about what happens in some of the later things, and I do think the TV show is informed by some of that.
1: Uh, yeah, I did read some spoilers for the webtoon, so yeah, I, I know some stuff that happens. It's yeah. very different than what happens in the TV show, I'll say that.
0: Which is kind of refreshing, because sometimes the adaptation is just so boring that it follows beat by beat the plot of the book. Okay, so that's our, our context. So Brenna... What the heck is orange marmalade? <laughs> I'm
2: still not entirely sure what orange marmalade is, but it is the title a webtoon, a manhwa series by Siok Wu. I hope I'm getting that right. This is a teen romance slash teen vampire story, but the context is really interesting. So, vampires have been hunted basically like almost to extinction and then there's like a peace treaty between the humans and the vampires and so the deal is that vampires get to live among humans, but they have to only drink pig blood, they have to file down their teeth and basically sort of go unrecognized. The protagonist of our story is uh, Marie, and she is a teen girl. She likes music and boys and pig's blood because she is a vampire. (laughs) And we're at this pretty interesting moment when the series starts in sort of human-vampire relations because there are some vampires who seem to be kind of agitating for more freedom or more ability to like kind of live their lives, and humans are getting more vocal about wishing that they would die out or be hunted um, and so the tensions are there and Marie feels the sense that the other people at her school if they found out that she would be in danger because you know people talk openly about like vampires are scary and they should be killed off etc cetera, etc cetera. so she is our main character and there's a boy of course Jamin and he is mean
1: For some reason,
2: (laughs) it isn't clear to me. This is not a very nice boy and he doesn't like women, apparently. He has a whole bunch of mommy issues and as a result, he keeps his sort of snarky distance from most women, but he is strangely drawn to Marie and she is strangely drawn to him because he smells sweeter than other humans. And so she finds herself in compromising positions with him when she's not hundred percent in control of herself. Marie has a mom and a dad and a little brother who is often getting her into trouble because he can't yet quite harness his vampire tendencies and Marie is new to the school and she doesn't want to have to transfer her whole life again so she's always really cautious of whether or not her family is gonna like give their secret away and around the point that I stopped reading another vampire has come to the school Um, And so whether or not he's going to like blow Marie's cover is sort of this new ongoing issue. And of course, it also becomes like a love triangle of sorts. Mm -hmm. How did I do? Uh,
0: Not too bad. There's two other characters that we should probably highlight. There's Suri and Wumi. And those are her not quite friends because they sort of force themselves upon her so that they can start or restart the high school band oh, which yeah. is very very important to this narrative like music is a fundamental character in the plot because we discovered that Mari is quite a good singer and Jamin is also brought into the narrative his mother really wants him to join the band it's her way of trying to reconnect with him after they're falling out And I guess the other character that we should highlight is Nabi, and that's Mari's aunt. And she owns a cafe that Mari occasionally sings at. So Mari's entire family are vampires, and Nabi is kind of an example of what Mari could be if she let herself become more part of the human world. She's very Mm -hmm. reluctant to engage in any capacity.
2: Nabi's also really openly a vampire like her friends know that she's a vampire and they're okay with it and she has like this social world where she can be like completely open and her honest and herself yeah
0: she's like the cool aunt that you wish marie would listen to more openly Mm -hmm. i liked Nabi a lot me
2: too she's probably my favorite after the baby who i love also toddler yeah
0: okay so what do we all think of Orange Marmalade as a webtoon. Or maybe should we talk about what a webtoon is since it is distinct from other things?
2: Yes, because this was my first I mean, I've read webcomics before, but this is definitely something different even than a webcomic.
0: Okay, so who wants to take a stab at what distinguishes a webtoon from a webcomic or anime or something else?
2: Well, (laughs) um, (laughs) this is my first one, and I don't want to, like, overstate the genre, but My understanding anyway is that webtoons are maybe not unique to South Korea anymore but they definitely originated in South Korea and the thing that I found most interesting about it is that it's clearly designed to be read on smartphone. Because I read the first few issues on my computer, and I'm so annoyed because the pages, like, don't line up properly and you have to like scroll a weird amount and then you have to kind of do like this weird half back scroll to get the next button. And then I was like, maybe I'll just try this on my phone. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is a very pleasurable experience to read on a phone.
0: Oh, that's super interesting. Paul, how did you read this?
1: Initially, I read it on the computer, like Bretta and probably you, Joe. Yes. Then I realized they had an app on the Mm -hmm. phone, which made it so much easier to read.
0: Okay, that is hilarious. Oh, I read all of it on my computer. (laughs) Never even occurred to me to try doing it on the phone. (laughs) But I was struck by, like, to me, one of the things that makes it so visually interesting is the way that the page is structured and the use of space. Mm -hmm. I actually didn't find it displeasurable that there were big gaps I don't know, it's almost like close-ups or fade-ins and stuff, the way that the images are drawn. And I I actually found it a really interesting, compelling way to read this text.
2: I definitely like the use of um, what we might call, I guess, an infinite canvas. Like you basically, you scroll down, there's not like a clear break in the page until the end of the episode. So every episode is on a continuous scroll. Mm-hmm. And once I got to the phone <laughs> setting and that felt a lot more intuitive, <laughs> I really enjoyed that because it it's a very different comics reading experience to what I'm used to, where we have like sort of a finite page and a, and a concrete structure with panels and gutters, which we've talked about on the show before, how those structures function. So here panels and gutters have a whole different like, construct. Joe's right. There's a lot of white space between to let you know that there's time passing or setting is changing. Mm-hmm. Panels often overlap so that you get a panel of kind of setting that's like overlapped with what's going on with the action, which is actually a very intuitive way to think about setting an action in a comic. Yeah. So I really enjoyed the webtoon structure. I thought it was a really neat storytelling medium and I liked the the way it was sort of episodic. To me, the thing that I kept being struck by is like when this was coming out, it was coming out weekly on Tuesdays and it's a tremendously polished high level of work to have to be producing every single week. Like, holy cow, the work involved.
0: Mm -hmm. I was really attracted to the visual style like the way that the characters are drawn. I love the fact that different characters have uniquely colored hair which help to distinguish them and of course then we've got like the very playful way that I don't want to say it's an anime feature because we have seen it to a certain extent in Scott Pilgrim when we read that although I I gathered that Scott Pilgrim was influenced by Asian comics.
2: Definitely manhwa and manga for sure. Mangas.
0: Yeah, I love when people get surprised or scared. They, you know, they turn into little children Mm -hmm. or they've got like the super exaggerated facial features and exclamations. So the partnership with the new way of reading it as a webtoon mixed with that delightful playfulness, I think really helped me to appreciate it, especially when the storytelling itself, I found a little bit rocky in parts. So I was like, well, at least visually I'm really captivated by this even if i didn't always love the story.
2: Yeah, i agree with that the storytelling is slow. <laughs> so having it be visually lovely makes up for that a lot.
1: Yeah.
0: Paul, what did you think?
1: Well, i really liked the art style of the webtoon, especially the detail that goes into just the yes. backgrounds. Yes. Mm. That was considering this was a week to week thing. That was very impressive, especially like when they were transitioning seasons to the fall. And when it, they were introducing more sepia tones, I thought that was really beautiful. And it was a little jarring at first to read for me because I grew up reading manga, which reads the opposite way for us. Right. And so when I, was re- when I first started reading Orange Marmalade, I was reading that way. Oh, really? Because I, I was expecting it to be like how they do it in Japan. And so I was really confused for a little <laughs> bit because I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I was
2: reading um, some background history on Van Hoa just because like, I have no context for it. And one comic scholar I was reading suggested that if you think of it as the impact of the huge cultural influence of America in yeah. South Korea post-war alongside the rich history of manga, like you take those two things, like Japanese manga and the – I mean, really, it's in a lot of ways, it's like it's a colonially inflected art form in two directions, right? So yeah, I thought that was a really helpful way to conceive of how the how the art style is functioning.
0: One of the things that I noticed when I was looking into some of the background history is that this was also about accessibility and trying to resuscitate a dying market. So it seemed like the consumption of, of different types of comics wasn't... It either wasn't making money or it was dying off to a certain extent and webtoons was one of the responses to make it easier to get out to people but then also to profit off of things like the internet where you could make a lot of money by charging small subscription fees or paying for ads so having it available online meant easier access for people and it's kind of crazy the numbers that not orange Marmalade but just as a whole the manhwa industry and webtoons were making like there's something like two million people reading this on a daily basis. Wow. So the numbers are astronomical like the demand for content is huge so it also I think helps us to appreciate why this was coming out on a weekly basis because that demand was there And these stories, like a lot of serialized stories, can really capture an audience and then all of a sudden you've got them hooked. Like 119 episodes for this particular one, that's two years worth of hits and recurring audience coming back. Part of the thing that I found interesting was at the bottom of each episode, you can actually read comments from people. So people can actually read that. And like, even as of the time when we recorded this, there were people who were still leaving comments being like, I just watched the show and now I'm coming back to this, or this is part of my annual reread. Like this series has been done for a number of years. So it's obviously connecting with the people who like this form, but also this particular story.
2: For me, it's it's really, like, it's a combination of all of these things that we're talking about. The idea that the art is so incredibly detailed, like, the labor, I know I've already said that, but the labor of this comic really blows me away, and I th- the fact that I find the storytelling so slow is, I think, similar to critiques of other serialized texts that we looked at. Like, you have to repeat stuff for people, because maybe they didn't read the last episode, or maybe they read it two weeks ago right and so it changes the storytelling mode and i had to remind myself to be patient with that because i'm doing the equivalent of binging it right like i'm reading it in a different way than it was designed to be taken in and so reminding myself of that it's interesting too because the series I'm, i'm not really transitioning yet but the series relies so heavily on flashback and i'm not sure if that is
0: it's like a reference to the way the webtoon is written
2: yeah i can't tell if it's a reference to the way the webtoon is written or just a convention of the genre because again this is like totally new to me and i'm very open about my ignorance here but for me it was it was like a helpful callback you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yeah
0: yeah all right so let's get into the narrative what did we think about the storytelling of orange marmalade
2: As I said, I mean, I found the storytelling slow, but I think it does a very good job of world building within the constraints. Like I'm actually pretty impressed with a serialized comic that I'm just reading on the screen, how convinced I was by sort of the rules and structure of the world. Does that make sense?
0: I think so. I think to build on that a little bit, one of the things that impressed me was the deliberate not just pacing, but also the need to say, I don't need to explain everything to you Mm. right now. I'm going to slowly peel the layers off this onion as we go. I'm so used to a kind of attention deficit disorder audience mode out of Hollywood where they're saying, so we've got vampires. Let me tell you all of the rules about how vampires work in this world or how we're different from all the other stories you've seen. And in this case, it's like, yeah, she's a vampire. If you wanted more, we'll tell you more (laughs) in 10 chapters. (laughs)
2: Well, it's true, and you get to learn things intuitively just by seeing the way she lives her life. There's not a lot of exposition here, right? Most everything we discover, we discover through interactions between the characters, with some exceptions. But for the most part, it's a very—I mean, Joe, it's right up your alley. It's all show, don't tell.
0: It really, really is, yeah. (laughs) I had a, a similar issue where I did find myself getting a little bit impatient, it's a problem with trying to binge this particular format where mm-hmm. I think had I been reading this on a week-to-week, I probably would have been fine with it. But as it was, I kept getting frustrated by Mari and Jamin's interactions because I was just like, you folks have been over this. Like. Yeah,
2: they do have the same conversation like 97 times in 25 chapters somehow. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> and part of me again, and Paul, maybe you can correct me if you've been reading any other texts that are kind of in this vein, part of me was like, am I being ignorant? Maybe this is a little bit more reflective of how people are having conversations on the other side of the world or in these kinds of texts, or is it just that episodic web format?
1: Well, Orange Marmalade, when I first heard the name, it immediately reminded me of this manga and this anime I used to watch when I was younger called Marmalade Boy, Mm. which was about these two Teenagers who like each other, but for some reason their parents met on a cruise and they switched partners, Uh (laughs) and so now they're all living in the same house. So there's this like quasi incestuous vibe going on. (laughs) But the artwork reminded me of Marmalade Boy, and the deliberate pacing of how they draw out the romance Mm -hmm. is very similar too. But I just noticed that's just very common with manga and anime—the whole drawn-out chase. Mm. So I I just wonder if that's what this was influenced by, because I know before the 90s, I know Japanese manga was very hard to find mm-hmm. in Korea because of, you know, reasons. <laughs> <laughs> <And> Political so, <laughs> reasons. <laughs> I won't go into that. But after that, I noticed, you know, they started importing more manga and localizing it. And it was becoming more popular. And I just wonder if that's what influenced Orange Marmalade. Because a lot of the those goofy faces and mm-hmm. when they turn into little characters in the comics, that's something you regularly see in manga or anime. Yes.
2: Yeah. It's so evocative and expressive. Like, you know exactly how that person feels inside their body in that moment when they're suddenly transformed into like a screaming toddler. <laughs> I loved
0: mm-hmm. it. Well, and even the use of sound effects as not quite like thought bubbles or dialogue texts. As much as I didn't love the back and forth between Marie and Jamin, I did love these times where we would see how close they are in proximity, because of course, obviously the distance that they have from each other is a crucial component because she is attracted to his blood smell. So you're constantly aware of, are they sitting on separate benches? Are they standing next to each other in the subway? There's so much attention to detail about, oh, he's, like, stooping closer to her, and she's, like, zinging away. Yes. (laughs) All of those really evocative sound effects that are actually written into the text so that you can get that better understanding. Like, I could hear them clearly in my mind as I was reading, and I just thought, this is wonderfully sensory, considering that it's a two-dimensional
2: text. Well, the spatial play in the comic is a really interesting component of it too, I think. For something that you're reading in this kind of infinite scroll fashion on your cell phone, there's one scene in particular that I'm thinking of where Jamin is talking to his mom, and they're having a sort of stilted, awkward, angry conversation, and... You think that they're sitting next to each other because you're just going like back and forth from one head to the other, one head to the other. And then all of a sudden his mom says, I don't understand why we have to sit like this. And Jamin says, well, we're plenty close enough. And then the camera, well, the view pans out, right? And all of a sudden you realize that they are actually sitting on two separate park benches. And it's drawn in two separate panels with white space between them. It's genius. So this idea of sort of space and temporality always being at play is just really effectively rendered visually. Like this this is a very well-crafted comic. Mm-hmm. I mean, visually speaking.
0: Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to transition into something that I did not care for. Okay. As much as I said earlier that music is really important to this text, the storyline about Suri and Wumi trying to get Marie to join the band and all the drama about people not knowing how to play instruments and how they should prepare for a performance that's seemingly happening very, very soon. And (laughs) no one seems prepared for it. (laughs) I kept getting frustrated with that. And I understood that it was obviously a way to break Marie out of her shell. But in terms of a a narrative anchor, I found myself disinterested, particularly when I want to know more about Marie and her vampire status and maybe what makes Jamin different. And I didn't mind his own story, like with the mom who we eventually reveal she has married a vampire and that's why he's living by himself in a separate house. That kind of stuff I thought was all really plenty interesting, but I didn't love the friendship stuff with Suri and Wumi.
2: I agree. What I did like about it was when it got self-referential, like there's one point where Marie's like, are we ever going (laughs) to (laughs) practice? What is that? What is going on with this whole band thing? Like the self-referential moments made me smile and I liked that, but I didn't find Okay, I have to confess that some of this is just my ignorance of the style, but I definitely thought Suri was a boy basically until they explicitly say that she's not. And so I thought that that was the love triangle they were setting up. I thought there was like a Min suri love triangle. Like, Suri is like too much and Min is like not enough in terms of like involvement in her life. So then my head kind of spun because I got real confused after that. And I'm also not super persuaded by Suri's backstory. Her mom has cancer, but is also really mean for some reason.
0: Yes. There's a lot of like really strong reactions and emotions from characters in this. Like when people get mad at other people, they say extremely hurtful sounding (laughs) things. And again, yeah, I was sort of the same way where I'm like, am I just missing a cultural context to this? Or is it just, no, these people are just being dicks right now.
2: Yeah, I realize I phrased that weird, like, somebody with cancer is not allowed to be mean. That's not really what I meant by that. It's just like, (laughs) Suri's devoted to her mom and like spends all this time at the hospital, like, making sure that she's okay. But her mom says horrific things to her and there's never a reaction from Suri. She's just like, anyway, let's go get pizza. And you're like, wait, what? What is happening? I'm confused.
0: Why aren't you more upset? (laughs)
2: It was interesting that for a story that I thought was so effective at subtly and intuitively building the world and the rules, the interpersonal relationships are not so carefully drawn or attended to. Mm-hmm. Outside of um, Marie and her family, like I think Marie's family, her aunt, her dad, I think those relationships make a lot of sense and her brother, but the sort of peripheral friendships and things just seemed not well thought out.
0: yeah reading ahead about what happens like on the Wikipedia page, it seems that Mari is eventually outed as a vampire at school and Suri and Wumi end up having, you know, different kinds of reactions to her status and they protect her or don't. I guess we should probably also mention that there is a principal antagonist in all of this that we haven't mentioned named Ara. And Ara is desperately in love with Jamin and I think provides, honestly, some of the best comedic moments. Definitely. It's really terrible sounding, but I love all of the incidents where she basically throws herself at him and then he just sidesteps her and she kind of falls down.
2: Well, that's one of the ways, I mean, that's a big change between the webtoon and the series, right? Is like, (laughs) Jamin is just like mean to her. In the TV series, he's he's made to be just a generally good guy who is sort of not interested in her but doesn't want to be cruel. In the webtoon, he's just cruel to her. He's just like, nope.
0: Yeah, like just so casually indifferent. <laughs> no, I just don't have time for you. Can't be bothered mm-hmm. with you.
1: Yep. All I was going to say, I just remember that one part in the webtoon where Ara, I guess she grabbed him, grabbed Jamin by the hand, and Jamin's had the most visceral reaction. He said... <laughs> I don't know something about dirty hands. Yes yeah. Oh yes.
2: And she's like crushed. She's like dirty
1: hands. It's just I don't know why he was like this but then I read spoilers ahead and I thought okay now I kind of makes sense. I really get the impression that we're meant to
0: read a lot into his behavior at school as having been influenced by the relationship that he has with his mom and how much he's hurting inside. Is that mm. sort of on the right track Bob? Yes. I
1: can't really remember if they brought up his father in the present day storyline in the T V series. I don't remember his character if he was in was he even in not the TV in series? The like the first four we episodes. Watched, no. no. But I'm pretty sure why he why he resents his mother so much in the webtoon is because of his father and how his father treated him after she married the vampire. Oh interesting. Hmm. And it gets kind of dark and I don't know if you want me to spoil it or not, but Um I can hold off.
0: Yeah, let's maybe not, just because I will say that one of the challenges that I had with the webtoon is that even though we read 25 episodes, I really honestly felt like we weren't even getting into the crux of the action by the end of it. Like we arbitrarily picked 25, mostly because 25 ends on a bit of a cliffhanger where you're like, ooh, something juicy is going to come in, but also we don't have time to read 119. So (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> it's definitely true. I really felt like I had just been introduced to these characters. I mean, which is obviously true. Like we read less than a quarter of it, <laughs> so if we had read only the first one and a half Scott Pilgrims, we would have felt the same way, probably. Fair. So yeah, I definitely think I was um, saying to Joe in our in our text part of this episode that this might be something that we need to revisit. Or definitely, I'd like to read more uh memoir and read more webtoons and watch more drama because i definitely think there's a heck of a lot of conventions of the genre that i don't understand yet and i think i will get a lot more out of all of this once i do
0: Mm -hmm. yeah it really is a a bit of a gap in the knowledge isn't it
2: definitely well for me for sure i'm i'm uh, fully cop into my ignorance here this might be a good time actually to transition and talk about the tv show joe
0: absolutely Okay, so Orange Marmalade got made into a TV show in 2015, and it was a one-series K-drama. So it lasted for 12 episodes, it ran for 11 weeks on Fridays at the seemingly exceedingly late time of 10.30 at night. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, really? I was just like, I don't know that I would watch a TV show that's 50 minutes long that starts on Fridays at 1030, but to each their own. So this TV show was actually not exceedingly popular. So I'm not sure if it was only ever intended to be 12 episodes or if they would have taken the story further. I gathered from the rate at which they wow through some of the plot in these early episodes, though, it does seem like they may be anticipated that they would do it as a single one-off story. So, this is a TV show that stars some pretty heavy hitters. Principally, the Mari character is played by Seol Kim, and she looks really, really familiar. And when I looked up her Wikipedia entry, she is one of the founding members of the girl pop group AOA, which is a pretty massive manufactured pop group in South Korea. Oh. And she is a former model and she has gone on to do a couple of other television shows and hosting gigs and that kind of stuff. But this is one of her earlier TV shows. She was on another TV show called Ugly Alert before this.
2: Can I just say that I think she hits the perfect beats when it comes to like that balance of cute and sweet but also mysterious and like secretly a vampire like i just think she's she is a complete delight in the role i really i found her magnetic to watch and i really enjoyed her Mm -hmm.
0: in that case don't do too much web searching on her because she's a lovely person but the way that she gets treated by the online community not like from fans of the show but basically from men is Aww. terrible she's objectified a lot
2: Jill, can we have one episode where the patriarchy isn't horrible uh
0: no no, no. unfortunately not
2: okay cool
0: <laughs> okay so the character of Jamin is played by Jingu Yu, and he I think is the person with the most consistent like acting background. He doesn't have a he doesn't have a pop background or anything, which is maybe why we don't get to hear him sing in the T V show. <laughs> and then person that we haven't talked about at all from the webtoon because he's the mysterious character who gets introduced at the end of episode twenty five is Sihu Han. And that is Mari's old childhood friend that she has seemingly forgotten. And he comes back into their life as a bit of a shadowy figure. He's one of those vampires who wants to be more public, more in your face, more like, screw the humans, I don't give a crap kind of deal.
2: Love triangle.
0: It's our primary love triangle for the TV show. And he's introduced very early on. He's in as of the end of the first episode. And he is played by John Hyun Lee and he is also a not quite boy band member but he was part of a rock band called CN Blue so I can't remember do we
1: see him sing in the tv show
2: no I think just her
1: he does sing later on in the tv (gasps) series but it's very limited okay it's more like him's just singing in front of a store but that's at the very very end of the series okay
0: Yes, actually, thank you, Paul. This would be a good time for us to also clarify how much of the TV show did we all watch?
2: Oh, yeah, I watched the first two episodes.
0: And I watched, I think, the first three episodes, and then I kind of sped through four, five, and six, because I wanted to see the unusual event that starts in episode
1: six. And I watched all of it because I just couldn't stop.
2: I really, honestly, I have to say, so my life is crazy because it's finals here and so I'm marking all night, every night, and I have a toddler. If my life wasn't structured by those two things right now, I think I would have inhaled the whole series in one fell swoop. I really liked it. And I feel
0: 100% the same way. This felt like teen crack to me. Yes. <laughs> when i started that first episode i was like "Oh, 50 minutes is this south korean netflix creep like what is going on with this and honestly i think 10 minutes in i might as well have just glued my face to the tv because i was <laughs> totally sucked in loving the drama honestly these people are all skin model gorgeous it's true they're fantastically beautiful.
2: Whatever oil of Olay is for teenagers, these kids are on it.
0: Yeah, they've, they've got some <laughs> kind of elixir of youth, that's for sure. <laughs> but I think for me, the thing that the TV show does so well and I mentioned it as something that didn't quite work for me with the webtoon, is that the music is so good Yes, (laughs) the TV show.
2: Yes, it's especially great when you're watching it with subtitles because the lyrics, because I watched one episode had the subtitles and it subtitled the music and one episode didn't, and the episode that subtitled the music was amazing. The lyrics are so on the nose. It's amazing. Yes, like you could basically know exactly what's happening in the story from listening to the songs, and I loved it. It was like I don't know High School Musical with vampires. I just adored it.
0: <laughs> uh, yes.
2: Oh, that's a compliment from me when I when I say that. Point though, I love High School Musical.
0: <laughs> okay, so some very very important distinctions between the TV show and the webtoon. So not only do things happen a lot faster on the TV show, it's technically broken up into three seasons. So season one is comprised of the first five episodes, and it takes place in modern day times. And then season two takes place from episodes six through nine, and it takes place during the Joseon dynasty.
1: Paul, did I say that right? I always just pronounce it as Joseon.
0: Joseon. Okay. So it takes place during the Joseon dynasty, 200 years in the past, with all the same actors. Oh. And it is bonkers crazy.
2: I am so bummed I didn't get that far.
0: That's why I was like, I'm going to watch a couple of episodes, but I think I'm going to try to watch more, because I saw that on the Wikipedia page, (laughs) and it kind of blew my mind a little bit. (laughs) And then you come back to the modern day for the last couple of episodes. So, Paul, why don't you give us your impression since you've watched the entire thing?
1: Let's see. I really like the TV show. I honestly probably prefer it over the webtoon. So far, of what I've read of the webtoon, I like the characterizations a little more. They felt more subtle, but still, you still got the gist of them based on if you've read the comic as well as watched the TV show. Mm-hmm. For instance, Jamin is not so severe in the TV show. No,
2: he's super cute.
1: <laughs> and the webtoon, he's very abrasive. Mm-hmm. Yes. And whereas the TV show, He's he can be a little aloof or he can be a little rude, but it's nowhere to the level that he is in the webtoon.
2: Much more of a cinnamon bun.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and, like, oh... One thing I really wanted to bring up was the character of Ara was so different. Yes, yes, I'm glad you brought that up. In the TV series, she is so, she is, I guess, a brood, she broods a lot. You know, she's not as cocky or as outspoken in the TV series compared to the webtoon. She's very much a bully, but unlike what she is in the webtoon or what I've read, what will happen in the webtoon, Mm -hmm. she's more subtle about how she bullies Mari.
2: I think in general what the webtoon or what the TV show is doing more effectively than the webtoon is basically all of the secondary characters. And partly it's because, as Joe points out, things move a lot faster so we get a lot more information, so we know more about, more about these people, but like yeah, all the secondary characters just have a lot more flesh, they're a lot more real, I find. And yes, she's the perfect example of that for me.
0: I guess one of the other big things that I didn't address is that the TV show is 100% focused on this love triangle between Mari, Jamin and Sihu. So the character of Suri is there, her friend who desperately wants Mari to join the band, and she's got the cancer-stricken mom in the webtoon. She's one of the supporting characters, but honestly, there's just this background cacophony of students in the classroom, and none of them really stand out in terms of stepping forward into the limelight to have an arc or something else. Like, they're there to play off the love triangle, or I guess the quadrangle if you want to include ara so it really ends up being all about mari adjusting to the school jamin being attracted to her not really understanding why see who comes in and provides that dramatic conflict that all love triangles should have and then ara is kind of the mean girl who's pushing things along by escalating the stakes and really pitting Jamin and Sihu against each other and saying like, oh, well, if you like this girl, you're going to step in and protect her or you're going to run away with her. So I think it just means that we have more time to flesh all of our main characters out because we don't have these, I don't want to say unnecessary, but some of the storylines that are happening in the webtoon get put away so that we can focus on the main four characters.
2: That's true, but we do still have Mari's dad, who's amazing.
0: Oh my gosh. That actor is hysterical.
2: Every time he moves his face, I want to die. Like he's so funny. So there's this scene in the first episode, one of the things that we find out about Mari's dad is he's, he's kind of like into human culture. Like he's sort of, he wants to be able to like watch sports and drink beer and eat fried chicken so when we first meet him he's like pretending to drink a beer and pretending to eat fried chicken while he watches i guess it's soccer yeah. he's all by himself and he's just like really into this whole like i'm um, cosplaying a human kind of bit and it's hysterically funny like it's way too much and just the exact perfect amount all at the same time
0: absolutely yeah i love the actor the actor's name is gil Kang. on he is so broad he's almost like a farce in the show but as you suggested in all the right ways and the relationship that he has with marie is super supportive and just really like there's this one scene i can't remember i think it's in episode three where she's walked down the hill towards school Things are kind of blowing up and he stands at the top of the hill and he calls her and they just wave at each other for like 30 (laughs) seconds straight and they just get progressively bigger and bigger and their smiles are so big. It's really hysterical, but also genuinely heartwarming. And I think that's important because the TV show actually, to me, this was unacceptable. They get rid of her aunt and they just make her mom the owner of the coffee shop. And I really think that the TV show actually misses having that cool other publicly out vampire character Mm -hmm, to balance mm -hmm. out some of the internal monologue that she's having that marie is having
2: i agree completely i missed her as a character very much yeah
0: we also discover early on in the tv show that the reason it's called orange marmalade is because that is the name of the band that they form (sighs) (laughs) brenna got a very excited text from me (laughs)
2: Well, because we we read twenty five issues of the webtoon without ever finding out why it's called Orange Marmalade, and Joe and I are texting back and forth, and Joe's like, "I don't know, like the sky's orange," and a lot of <laughs> We're like trying to figure out what Orange Marmalade is. Yeah, I guess patience is a virtue when you're reading webtoons. Apparently, yeah, we don't have it. <laughs>
0: We're going to do some spoilers here, listeners. So if you do want to check out the TV show, and I would definitely encourage you to do so. So if you want to jump ahead, feel free to. So Paul, can you walk us through what the JOSEN section of the series is like?
1: Well, at the end of the first arc, Jamin gets amnesia. Yes, he gets hit by lightning on a pier or something He like falls into off that pier or not a pier, like a lighthouse. Yes, yeah, so it's a lighthouse. Else?
0: He gets hit by lightning, holding onto a lighthouse and then falls into the water <laughs> Yeah. It's so soapy. I loved it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so that, as it's revealed, he starts to have these visions during his ennysiac state. And basically the second arc is a flash or flashes that he's seeing in the third arc. And during the second arc, which takes place during the Joseon dynasty, he is he's a scholar. He's from a rich family and he's studying and he's best friends with Shihu. Okay. But during the Joseon dynasty or the Joseon arc, everyone is still playing their same characters and they have the same names, but they have different roles, so to speak. For instance, Ara is now a princess. Yeah, she is. (laughs) That makes sense. (laughs) 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 She's something like a princess. And then Mari and her family are butchers, like animal butchers, and that's how they get their pig's blood. But in the Joseon arc, well, the thing about Orange Marmalade, it seems like it's a narrative that's about discrimination. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: In the present day, I feel like the discrimination can be very generalized. You can say it's about sexuality. You can say it's about race. You can say it's about immigration. Mm -hmm. But whereas in the Joseon arc, it was very much about a caste system. Mm. Because the vampires are treated much worse, I would say, in the Joseon arc.
0: Right, because this would have been before the treaty was drawn up, right?
1: Yes, yes. Okay. So they're treated as trash. And a lot of the things that happened to Mari in the past, which are kind of horrifying to watch, because they, they treat her that way, not because she's a vampire, because no one knows that yet, but because she is considered a low-class peasant. And so mm. there are some instances where she's put into her place quite often by either Jamin or Ara. And so it's very it's very hard to watch, but in the second arc they bring up the bad vampires, the ones that everyone thinks the modern vampires are like. Because okay. there's two clans of vampires in the Joseon arc. There's the good ones, which are Mari and her family and their friends. They don't feed on humans. They keep to themselves. They're very subservient to the king. But and then there are the bad vampires, which live elsewhere and they feed on humans and they want to overtake the kingdom. And then Jamin meets Mari in the woods when she's playing her flute. Because so in the past, she's still, she's still a musician. Still a musician. Yep, she's still a musician. <laughs> and he becomes enthralled by her. But his attraction to her is sort of deterred when he finds out she's not noble. Oh, and so okay. he never finds out that she's a vampire until much later. And so the Josen arc is basically him trying to come to terms with her being low class Him trying to realize that he can defy his own destiny, which is to become king or whatever, while trying to, I guess, trying to open himself up to the idea that he can be more than just a noble person. He can be with someone that's, quote, end quote, lower than him. And then at the same time, Mari is learning. Well, in all three arcs, Mari has a very fatalistic sense of herself, Like, she doesn't allow herself to live fully. Gosh.
0: That was the part that drove me the most crazy. I was like, girl, get your agency on. Yeah, which is why the (laughs) loss of
1: the aunt is so upsetting, because, like, that's an
2: example that you want to push her towards. Whereas in the TV show, you're like, well, what would the example even be?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of displaced onto Sihu, to be honest. But he's not, he's like a bit of a
1: bad boy example, so. Yeah. So Mari, in the past, she's just as fatalistic, and she keeps to herself a lot, and she doesn't really allow herself to live and she's obviously attracted to J-Men, but other than being a vampire she realizes i am not of your class so i can't be with you so it's almost like the vampirism becomes a secondary thing Mm. to the story Mm. so they don't even find out about her being a vampire towards almost the end of the arc so interesting
0: it's honestly such a bizarre creative decision especially since as you mentioned it, it may or may not be a part of the webtoon like i'm fascinated if only because this is the kind of thing that you almost never see in north american tv shows like the only examples i can think of in the ya context is like the final season of felicity i where... was just gonna say this <laughs>
2: sounds like a total felicity
0: she pulls a time travel and... all of
2: a sudden we can travel through time
0: yeah <laughs> one episode but that's usually like <laughs> that's when a tv show is kind of going off the rails or it's on its way out not hey we've got this one season idea let's just you know do an extended flashback for four episodes in the middle of our of our season but it, it honestly looked really compelling like the action that i was seeing i was like the costuming looks really good the fact that they get to play up the relationships and change them change that dynamic a little bit is really interesting so
1: yeah they put a lot of work into the second arc there's a lot of choreographed fighting because Shihu he's not a vampire in the past. He doesn't become one till later on. So he becomes head of the extermination team that is ordered to destroy the vampires. But the problem is he's fallen in love with Mari too. So the love triangle is still there actually mm-hmm. <laughs> in the second arc.
2: Okay, I have to bring up something. Okay. And it's sort of a question for Joe in your vast more vast knowledge of vampires than mine. Okay. But I also spent some time doing some research on this online and I found no satisfactory answers. So this was also a similar problem that I had with Twilight, which is that we have these discussions of vampires and coming of age mm-hmm. and young women and somehow menstruations like never part of the conversation. Oh, no, no, no. So I was reading all this stuff about like vampire folklore and how that's why it's really important for vampires to seek like pre women who are before their sexual maturity or or virgins, right? Because then you don't have any of that taint of stuff, adulthood about a woman. How dare she? But then I was reading all this like really bizarre stuff that Stephanie Meyer said around Twilight. Somebody asked her about this in an interview and she said, well, everybody knows that menstrual blood is dead, which is like a Uh. weird thing and also not um, true. So like it's interesting to me that on the one hand, I think vampire stories have often been about anxiety around female sexual maturity. Yes. But in the modern context, we just don't we don't touch or address or contextualize that at all. And I was just wondering if you wanted to comment on that.
0: Hmm.
1: <laughs> this might be a bit of a reach. But... There's no
0: such thing. If you can back it up, you're good to go.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, well, here I go. <laughs> so, <laughs> Joe, you saw the episode where... Jamin gets strung up by that pulley or something, and Mari was debating whether or not to save him.
0: Yes, but I think I fast-forwarded through it, so I didn't get all the context.
1: Okay, I'm pretty sure this was either the episode before the second arc started, or maybe it was the second to last before the Joseon Dynasty.
0: Okay, so four or five.
1: Okay, so let's see. Mari and Jamin are by the pier for some reason, and then there's... This incident happens, and Jamin is involved in an accident, and Mari has to debate whether or not to save him. But at this point, she doesn't have any of her the same have her vampire powers. She doesn't have her strength or speed. In order to use that, she would have to initiate something within herself. Oh, she hasn't reached like full vampiric maturity. No, no, it's almost like she's a virgin Mm -hmm. in a way. So she's standing there contemplating: Do I do this? Do I save Jamin? You know, she wants to do it. She wants to give that self up so she can save him and effectively be with him so she can save his life. But then she who suddenly swoops in with his vampire powers and he stops her and says, no, I don't want you to do that. You know, don't use your powers. And for me, that just read very much like...
0: Yeah, protect.
1: Protect almost away her virginity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like keep her from giving that part of herself to Jamin." Right. So that, that's how I read that scene.
0: That is fascinating.
1: Because in the whole, the modern context of the series, it just reads to me like a metaphor for sexuality.
2: Yeah.
0: Which is like par for the course for vampire narratives, right? I mean, yes, it's yes. all about sexuality, but often, yeah, I think as both of you are inferring, it's about rites of passage and getting people like on the cusp of when they actually start to you know, in the real world when women start to menstruate and when boys start to have unruly thoughts.
2: (laughs) Well, there's one interview with Stephanie Meyer where somebody said, well, is it harder? Because, you know, the whole thing with with Twilight is that Edward, he's always trying to not kill Bella because she smells so amazing or whatever and somebody asked her like is that harder for him like when she's menstruating like there's blood right there like in the interview she says it's slightly more difficult for him but he's too much of a gentleman to ever mention such things and I'm like oh barf he's basically like resisting raping slash murdering her for four books but he's too much of a gentleman to talk about periods all right all right lady
0: yeah well there's (laughs) nothing sexy about a period Brenna just Obviously.
2: drives me crazy because, you know, I, the reason it came up for me is because there's this one scene where in the TV show when she forgets, she can't get to her lunch, it's locked in her locker and she can't get into her locker yes. and she's like really, really sick, like she needs to eat. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if, we were, if we're thinking about the other source of blood in a high school. Just saying.
0: Yeah. And of course, that's also the moment where the chivalry swoops in, right? Mm -hmm. And Jamin first stops to prop her up, and she like almost collapses into his arms. And then he basically sends her on her way, and then she gets fully scooped up by Sihu, And you're just like, wow. Yep. I think that's what I love the most about it, is I could see so many of the conventional tropes in the TV show, but it was also so playful with them at the same time there seems to be an acknowledgement of how melodramatic all of this is in combination with the music and the performances are just so spot on like everybody knows what they're doing like yes i am the bad boy yes i am the virginal vampire main character people are playing it up to a T, but it's so well executed that you can't help but just get sucked into it
2: i think what you were saying about it being a soap opera is like exactly dead on It really is. I mean, it plays on that level and the performances are on that level in a way that I'm being completely flattering (laughs) with, by the way. Like, that's what makes it so engrossing, I think.
0: Yeah, for sure. Do we have any other observations about either the Webtoon or the TV show of Orange Marmalade?
2: I'm ready for YA bingo, if not. Bingo! Not a
0: good bingo. Okay. We're going to ask Paul to go first because he is our guest. So, Paul, do you have a YA bingo slot?
1: I have quite a few, actually. <laughs> but... <laughs> I can just go with one for now, if you'd like.
0: Why don't you give us a couple if you've got some?
1: Okay. Well, some of them are also reaches, so just bear with me. Mm-hmm. I think the most notable thing, at least with the TV series, because that's what I'm most familiar with because I haven't read all of the webtoon, is the Redemptive Arcs. mm Something that becomes more apparent in the last two arcs of the TV series, especially in the the Joseon Dynasty story, because it's only a limited number of episodes, it's only, I guess, five episodes, they have to hurry things along to show more growth and character development. Like, for instance, Ara, she treats Mari very poorly, because, like in the modern days, in the past, she has feelings for Jaemin. But, you know, in the Joseon Dynasty arc, while she does treat her poorly, she recognizes what she's doing as wrong. So she's well aware of what's right and wrong. But this is true for her in the modern story, too. But Mm. she has this change where she becomes more empathetic and she starts to care more about Mari. She doesn't just see her as a lowly peasant girl. She sees her not as an equal, but as an actual person. Mm. Yeah, And that's just one of the redemptive arcs in the whole series. So redemptive arcs, yeah.
0: But I think there's quite a few in both the TV show as well as the webtoon. Because I think Ara gets a pretty significant one over the course of the webtoon after she outs Mari and then I think has to come back around to her defense later on.
1: Mm-hmm. And another bingo, the secondary queer subplot? I don't know about. In the TV series... You could read the friendship between past versions of Who and Jabin as slightly homosexual, but or homoerotic rather, but it just seems more like a very strong friendship that's not bound by toxic masculinity or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I kind of read it that way, too. That <laughs> they, they really love each other, even though they have problems with one another. But in the webtoon, I think the friend, Suri, When she sees Mari's aunt, doesn't she get all excited, like saying, ooh, she's hot? I think so, yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. In South Korean culture, homosexuality is not the most talked about thing or like put on open display in their media. So I thought that was kind of interesting how in the webtoon they have this, I guess, important supporting character just flat out say, ooh, who is that? She's so hot.
0: Yeah, and you could read it as she's complimenting her, but you could also read it as, yeah, cuz I think Brenna you initially said that you thought Suri was maybe she's drawn a little bit more like a boy, but the way that she reacts to Mari so often makes it seem like she had a little girl crush on her.
2: Yeah, as I said, I definitely thought there was a love triangle brewing there and I was disappointed when it was not the case. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's definitely a cultural angle where you're just you're less likely to see out-and-out kind of queer subplots or plots proper.
2: Mm.
0: All right, so Brenna, what have you got? What's on your list? We've got redemptive arcs and a potential secondary queer subplot.
2: For me, obviously, Love Triangle. And I'm going to give Marie's dad the ideal parent slot because I love him and I think he's great.
0: All right, and (laughs) I will cap it off with a parents don't understand Mm. because... Particularly with Jamin's mom in the webtoon, and then obviously his very controversial relationship with his, I guess, stepfather in the TV show. Mm-hmm. It's a very weird switch that they do, where they mostly get rid of the mom for the TV show, so that his primary parental relationship is with the vampire that he hates, who ruined his relationship with his mom. So mm-hmm. I thought was a very odd choice, but it does mm-hmm. kind of up the stakes a little bit. So Cool. Yeah. Okay. So before we talk about where to go next, let's do some social media stuff. So, Paul, where can people track you if they wanna follow what you're up to?
1: The only social media I use is Twitter, but I post there regularly. That's where I usually talk to you, Joe. My mm-hmm. Twitter handle is a final boy, one word, a final boy. And if you ever want to read any of my writing, I right now I'm kind of a budding freelance writer. Like Joe, I work mostly in horror. But I write for uh, Nightmare on Film Street right now. Mm -hmm. So if you want to read any of my stuff, you can find me there. Or just go to my Twitter. I usually retweet my stuff all the time. (laughs) Awesome.
2: And you can find me on Twitter at Brenna C. Gray. It's Gray with an A. And Joe, how about you?
0: I am at B still on my remote. That's the letter B.
2: And if you want to chat to both of us at once or talk about what's going on on the show, you can always use the hashtag HKHSpod. And Joe will give you the email address if you've got Orange Marmalade fanfiction to send us
0: course because brenna can never remember the email address so. I can't. it's hkhspod at gmail.com yes we've, we've received no fan fiction i'm very disappointed so i'm hoping that maybe we'll get some Suri Mari slash fan fiction for this episode uh mm-hmm. or if you just want to like send us detailed explanations about all things orange marmalade we are happy to read them in either the twitter or gmail universe
2: Definitely. And next week, we're back in Brenna's comfort zone um, with something we foreshadowed on the Sabrina episode, the new Netflix original Noah Centenino joint, Perfect Date, and the book that inspired it, Steve Bloom's The Stand-In.
0: Mm-hmm. So we're firmly back into YA rom-com territory just for you.
2: <laughs> Thank you. And thanks for joining us, Paul. This was great.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: All right, so until next time.
1: I'll see you on the page.
0: And I will see you on the screen.
1: (laughs) Bye-bye.